The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. All right, that's exciting. Open your Bibles to page one, Genesis chapter one and verse one. Uh, We are starting a new series this morning entitled Hot Topics. This is an audience-driven sermon series. Over the past several weeks, uh, members and friends of Christ Church have been sending in topics they would like to see addressed from the scriptures, specific questions, and I've organized them into eight different topics. And I put them out last week, and I'm putting them out for you with the dates. Somebody was asking, what days are you gonna preach on these different things? And so I wanna put the dates up here. If you have a smartphone with you and you wanna take a picture of of this screen, or if you want to see this online later, we can share it. But this is the sermon title and the date um, so that you can bring your friends or choose not to go to church that day, uh, whatever, whatever it is that suits your calendar. Um, and you'll notice that we're doing gluttony and drunkenness the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And that was, that was, not, that was not strategic. It's just how it, how it landed, okay? So don't judge me, all right? Um, I was going to start the series this morning with the sermon on Christianity and politics. I had a lot of questions about politics. And I want to give clear answers to people's specific questions. And I realize that because of the cultural moment we're in, that's going to be by its very nature divisive and polarizing. And, and yet I don't want to shy away from that at all because where there is a truth claim from scripture or revelation from God about what is good, we need to call good, good, and we need to call evil, evil, even if it upsets people. Do you understand this? You're saying yes, but you don't know if it's you I'm upsetting. So... I started thinking about, I wrote this whole sermon for this morning on politics. And the question, one of the questions I got, the specific question was, how can someone be both a Christian and a Democrat? That was one of the questions that I got. And um, actually got that exact question more than once and many other questions around it. And uh, so I'm going to answer that question. I'm going to answer it for how it was asked, but I'm also going to answer it genuinely as a person who knows Christians who also have Democrat on their voter registration. And I'm gonna answer it, um, but I'm also gonna speak to it, which is different. I'm also gonna answer and speak to the question, how can someone be a Christian and a Republican? Um, So next week, I'm going to, I'm gonna speak from the scriptures and from the platform PDFs of the Democrat National Convention and the Republican National Convention, and that's it. So I just want you to know that I'm seeking to do this based on what is said and not on my perception or what news channel I watch or whatever, nothing like this. This is not commentary and opinion piece from from Pastor Jesse, okay? But we are gonna speak to the questions. But I decided not to start the sermon with that, uh, the series with that sermon because as I started taking this apart, I realized one of the challenges that we're facing as a culture right now and part of the dilemma of being in Western evangelicalism is that many if not most of us, come into our Christianity with an ideology that is already intact. And when I talk about an ideology, I'm talking about a set of opinions or beliefs of a group or an individual. Very often ideology refers to a set of political beliefs or a set of ideas that characterize a particular culture. And our our ideologies are formed in our early life through the influence of those, our parents, our grandparents, teachers, our education, and then also our experiences through later education and in life, we tend to formulate an ideology. Now, much of Western evangelicalism is built on ideology. And you may not even realize this, but there's whole, whole denominations that are built on a reaction to a previous idea. I mean, all of Reformation theology is in response to 15, 16th century Catholic heresies in their opinion. And so we live in a reactionary world and we're coming to it feeling very confident about some of the things that we believe when in fact 
our ideology has been smuggled into our Christianity. In fact, for many of us, we came to church today with an ideology that's really more like a pre-existing condition than a set of convictions. And so I'm gonna start to dismantle some of those, but I'm not promising you it's gonna be easy or painless. I know some of you have recently cut out two or three or four feet of drywall out of your living room in the wake of the flooding from Hurricane Ian, and you, you had water come up in your house and you've had to cut stuff out and reveal things. And I think that's a fitting picture for what might need to take place in some of our belief systems and some of our hearts, that there's, there's actually an intrusion of falsehood that is based in preconceived notions that came from someone you trusted that you have carried into your walk with God that actually, if left unattended, are going to soften and wick up and cause mold and mildew and destruction in the very place you're trying to find life. And if it's not purposefully identified, cut out and removed, you will find yourself having a hard time breathing and having a hard time living and finding yourself at strife with other people. And ultimately, maybe even finding yourself questioning the nature and character of God himself. And so this morning, we're gonna do a little demolition. That's why we called it Hot Topics. You guys ready? Now, typically I read a passage of scripture and then pray, but we got a lot of scripture. And I, I, I spend the majority of my time on this sermon deciding what not to say, okay? So it's already been, it's already been completely edited with everything I could possibly um, live without and still, it's still gonna be a challenge. So we're gonna start by asking the Lord to help us and then we're gonna jump right in. You guys ready? God, I thank you for the work that you are doing in each one of our individual hearts and minds. God, I thank you that every person in my hearing is precious, a child of God, has a destiny and a calling upon their life that you care about, that you wanna see walk in truth and in power, strength and faith, and to make a contribution Lord, an indispensable contribution to the world in our generation. And Lord, we need, we need your reality to do that. We need to, we need to function in the world that you have made in the way that you have ordered it. We need to have your priorities. We need to agree with you no matter what that means, God. And that could be a difficult process. And so I pray for myself, Lord, as I'm seeking to communicate these things and also what my story has looked like. And I pray for my hearers, God. I pray for every person present that we would have an open heart and mind to hear your voice, God. Not another opinion from another person, but God, to do genuine heart work, to have humility and the fear of the Lord, to say, God, if you are speaking this to me, if that is true, help me to know what to do. God, we wanna build upon the rock and not upon false ideas or ideologies. So we're asking for your help, God. We wanna hear the voice of your Holy Spirit through your word this morning. And so we invite you into our space, into our minds and our hearts. Give us ears to hear, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. So uh, the questions that I received about politics, it was actually the questions, the way they were asked that clued me into the fact that the people asking the questions, they already had an answer or at least an inclination. You know what I'm talking about? You ever anybody ask you a question that's not a question? It's more like a statement with a question mark at the end. So I got a bunch of those and I started thinking through like, okay, what do we do with what I know are people's presuppositions? And so what I would like to do is I would like to present for you, and this is now 28 years in the making for me. I'd like to, I'd like to present to you what I believe are the essential elements of a Jesus-centered worldview. 
And there's seven of them. And I have time for like three minutes each. And I'm not gonna be exhaustive, but I do wanna present them to you because they are gonna be what I am appealing to and the foundation upon which we are gonna build as we ask and answer very provocative questions that have real world implications, both politically, culturally, and personally, and relationally. So <clears throat> this is a big deal. So here's the seven elements of a Jesus-centered worldview as I've discovered them. Let's see if you agree. Number one, creation. Number two, Revelation, number three, unification, number four, salvation, number five, mission, number six, expectation, and number seven, consummation. So I think if you have those categories, and we can talk around those categories for a minute, I'm going to present to you what I believe the scripture's clear teaching is about these seven categories. And if you hold on to those pieces, I think it'll present for us a consistent and Jesus-centered worldview that will contrast and identify ideology, whether that's conservative ideology or progressive ideology, whether that's liberal or traditional, it will, it will come in stark contrast to things maybe that you already believed and thought had a Christian stamp of approval on them. One of the challenges that we face is that we live in a world where you can find a Christian church that will uh, align with what most of what you already believe. You know that? If you don't like what I say, and some people didn't in first service, I, people walk right out of the service. There's 44 other options within 15 minutes of here. And you, with a Google search, you can find somebody that already thinks what you think. The question is, is that really what's best for you if it's wrong? You understand the dilemma we're in? So I'm gonna do the, my best to present to you what I feel like is clear and true and the most important, but then I wanna draw your attention to a few of the implications for that and how this is gonna be part of the conversation moving forward. <clears throat> so number one, creation. Somebody say creation. 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 Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. The opening words of the Bible communicates to its reader that this is God's world. He made it, it belongs to him. And in so much as you are created by God, you belong to him. This means he decides what is good and he determines what is evil. This means he is the one to define what justice is and truth and equality and love and grace. Do you understand how this works? This is God's world. Now, immediately, some of us grew up in an ideology that said science is the only way to know anything. There's no knowledge outside of that. And so we have to have some humanistic determination of how we got here. And so we study the things as they happen all the way back to the beginning of when they happen. And there's an ideology that says that God may or may not exist, but all of this has a natural explanation. And we are essentially the smartest monkeys. <laughs> Do you understand? I mean, we all, we all kind of grew up with a version of this, didn't we not? That does not bring you to the conclusion that this is God's world and you are owned by him, does it? It doesn't. 
And so this is kind of the beginning of the foundation of a Jesus-centered worldview. This is God's world. And not only is the world his and everything in it, and by default us, but we are actually his crowning and special creation. I mean, the whole, the whole narrative of creation, and I'll call it a mythology. That doesn't mean it's not true. It means it's a story that gives us meaning to the world around us. That's what a mythology does. It doesn't mean it's not true. It's not fake. It's not false. It's not a fairy tale. It's a mythology it explains the world. And so we have a picture here of God creating everything. And it's not meant to be a scientific manual to explain everything to you. There is a poetic nature to it. We get six days of creation. We have this, uh, this bracket of God's forming things and filling things. And so you get three days of forming and three days of filling. And so days of four, five, and six coincide with days one, two, and three. For instance, on day two, God creates the sky and the water. And then what does he do on day five? Is he fills it. He formed it. He fills it. Do you see how this works? So there's an explanation for God's purposes and his purposes to form and to fill. And the last thing God creates on purpose and puts into this world that he has created is mankind. Look at verse 26 of chapter one. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then we get a poem, which is meant to be memorable because it's important to understand verse 27. It's indented. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Very important. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so already our ideology is confronted by God's theology, by his revelation of himself. This is God's world. He made it. And so, yes, you have dominion. You are different, more valuable than all of creation. And yet called by God, representing him to bring order and, and to not exploit this world and not to take advantage of it. And so you're going to see seeds of different ideologies that connect with God's story, but it's going to start to challenge things that you already believe in the first place. And that's going to come up again and again and again. And so we're going to challenge our ideologies with what God presents as a foundational story in its, its creation. We also need a consistent interpretation of what God's story means. And so this is what brings us to revelation. Somebody say revelation. Creation, revelation. Listen, we, we are not here trying to find a God who is hiding. You understand this? Uh, God, our God, the God of creation is the God who speaks. He said, let there be light and there was light. He has spoken to us in many ways over many times through our fathers, the prophets, the writer of Hebrews says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. Do you realize this? We have a God who speaks. Now he speaks through creation in what theologians call general revelation. This is referred to in Romans chapter one. Paul makes this argument about God's wrath being justified in verse 18 of chapter one. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God decides what's ungodly and what's unrighteous. And he judges that. And that wrath is coming who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so there's this innate understanding that there is a God for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. Here's the Jesse Jarvis translation. Here we are in this world. There is a creation there must be a creator. There is a God and you are not him. Do you understand? That's the storyline. 
Now, you can know a true thing about God and have an internal sense of the truth of his existence, but you will not know God unless you receive a special revelation. And so our God is the God who goes out of his way to speak, to speak to Adam and Eve, to speak to Noah, to speak to Abraham, to speak through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to speak through God's people, Israel, and to speak through the culmination of 66 books of scripture compiled over 1,400 years by over 40 authors and available on your bookshelf and in your pocket. And so if you tell me I need a sign from God, I'll say, you're not listening. You understand this? It's not unclear. People say, well, Jesus never spoke about that. Yes, he did. He said everything important. You don't have to worry. We do not have a quiet God. We have a, a God who has spoken. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I'll be forthright with you. I am a presuppositionalist. I am telling you that you can know that God exists from nature, but you cannot know the God who exists without the scriptures. It's the reason we build our, sermon, our Sundays around sermons. It's the reason I preach and I give you all these texts. It's the reason I spend my life in this book. And it's the reason every Jesus follower ought to be so well acquainted with every verse in this Bible, because the more you know it, the more you know God. This is the God who speaks. And so we start with creation and then we need revelation. Now, if you're like me and you have an internet connection, you know that you will find people who say the exact opposite thing from the same passage of scripture and they speak it very passionately. Can I get an amen? And so what are we supposed to do? What we need now is unification. Somebody say unification, unification, unification. We not only need a consistent hermeneutic to understand the scriptures, but we need a framework, a set of lenses by which we can perceive the whole world. Now, all of us, because we're creating God's image, we start building this from the time we are born and we are influenced by how much our mommy hold, held us and whether we got kissed on the head or left in a crib. Whether you were there, can remember it or not, that started to shape you. Your early childhood, the influencers of the people around you, the difficult circumstances you faced, the things that people you trusted taught you and told you, the experiences you had in later life, you have got a set of lenses on all the time that, that make you interpret both the world and its circumstances and all your relationships and everything you read and also are taught about God's word. Do you realize that? Now, this is where... This is where your knowledge and relationship with God, your theology overlaps with your ideology. And this is the struggle that we are caught in the middle of. And we will not find a way forward until we find a sense of unification, a raison d'etre, a meaning for life. Why are we all here? What is the purpose? This is what we're asking. Now, if you ask people what adds value and brings purpose to their life, Americans and, and people of all nationalities will say basically the same stuff. Number one, family and friends. Relationships are the first things that add value to our life. Some people add pets in there too, all the dog people. After that, there's a spiritual or religious component. And then third, career and hobbies, what you do, how you spend your time, what you do for fun. Fourthly, your home surroundings, your dwelling is really important to people. It gives you a sense of value and safety where you live. And then lastly, people report that learning actually helps them to have a sense of purpose and meaning and value. And I love that. And I'm glad you're here listening to me for those of you who are still awake. But we are after, we are all after a sense of coherence. We need a story that adds meaning to our own existence, explains how we feel, what, what we've gone through and where we're going. And so that is where unification exists. Unfortunately, a lot of times ideology pushes our theology out of the way and fills in that void. 
And then you will find a person who will reach out to that sense of ideology. It matches and they'll, they'll give you a message that you go, that sounds right and feels right. And they'll slap a Bible verse on it and you'll feel like I'm a Christian who believes this and that's what all Christians should believe. But that is not how this whole thing works. Now, Christ Church exists with people who are Catholics and recovering Catholics, Reformed Baptist people, Pentecostals, Presbyterians and Wesleyans, non-denominational folks, and people with a stink eye towards church who don't know why they're trying again. <laughs> that's our crowd, okay? And so that's a broad theological spectrum. And we live in a world of 10,000 popes. Do you know it? You can find a person to preach your version of what you already want to hear easy. And that's not what we're trying to do here. So I want, to, I want to give you a little framework that I use. If you're going to read the Bible and you need a consistent kind of interpretive key, I'll say, I say this in our membership material, I'm going to say it to you right now. Here's what, here's what I've come to find. Uh, Jesus is the central character of the Bible. If you, if you go in the scriptures looking for your best life now, uh, you're not going to find it because you at best are going to receive the award for best supporting actress or actor. Because the storyline's about Jesus. Do you realize that? However, however, the central and predominant unifying theme of the whole Bible, as I have found it, is the believer's union with Christ. It's your mystical relationship with him by faith that you are one with him. And if you understand that the connection by faith to Jesus is, is the interpretive key, you'll start reading Genesis different. And you'll start reading Revelation different and First Thessalonians and Acts because you'll recognize that God's doing something here and he's fulfilled it in the person of Jesus and he wants you to be a part of it. I've said it this way before. God's eternal purpose is to dwell with a perfected people in a perfected place. You see, we're in a story that's going somewhere. It's not arbitrary. It's not for Sundays. It's not for a little part of your life while you're working on the big plan. God's got a big plan. And the big plan is for him to reunite humanity to himself in the person of Jesus and then be with us as our God in a place where there is no evil or sin or sickness or tears or death anymore. That's what we were made for and we all know it. And that's what God is inviting us into in the person of Jesus. But that's the lens we need to not only receive God's special revelation, but then to make sense of the world around us. We need a unification. And right now our world does not have one. Our world has, does not have a unification. There are calls for unity, which means do it my way, happy. You understand? That is not unification. Revelation 21, one to five. This is the vision of God's final work of putting this together and it's vivid imagery, but it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And don't we need a new one? Who, who needs a new one? Anybody need a new car right now? Anybody need a new house? We need a new heaven and we need a new earth. Because the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. This means he's the initiator of it. He's the bringer of it. He's the one who's establishing it. And it's prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. This is a picture of that mystical union. The Bible starts with a wedding, Adam and Eve, Genesis chapter two. It ends with a wedding, Jesus in the church, Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. 
That's what we're a part of. And listen, the enthroned king, he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's what we are a part of. It is not new yet. It is not done yet, but we are in the middle of God's story and this is going somewhere. And we've got to have a Jesus-centered unification that begins to filter out for us what is good and what is evil, what is right and what is wrong, what is the role of the church, what is the role of the government, what it means to speak the truth, what it means to oppose the liar, what the enemy is doing against us, what peace looks like in our relationships. And there are so many messages. It's time to plug our ears and fix our eyes on Jesus. Can I get amen? unification. So some of you may be asking, okay, there's this big narrative. Jesus is at the center of it. God's doing a thing. How do I fit into that? Well, I'm glad you asked because number four is salvation. Somebody say salvation. Fortunately for us, the central story of the big story is how God put us all back together. And the story is salvation. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only son of God. Listen, we are in a world that was heading for final destruction, but God intervened. God came to our rescue. Jesus was born into this world to be joined with us in our humanity, died our death to be a sacrifice, atonement for sins, is the focus of our forgiveness and faith in him brings us into God's family. And salvation is at the center of that story. Isn't that good news? And it's for everyone who hears it and believe. And some miraculous things happen by the power of the spirit. When that story is told deep in our hearts, we know it's true. We know that we need repentance and forgiveness. We hear God calling our name. We are drawn into him and we can make that choice to put our faith in Jesus and begin a true relationship with the God who is. And if you're here today and you've never trusted him, today's your day. Today's your day to start your journey in God's big story. But one of our other challenges is in our world today, the way the gospel is presented, that's the most important part. And really that's the end part. You can slap that on sticker on your bumper and go home and park it in the garage and wait for Jesus to come back. In fact, you'll find church after church after church that does little more than preach that small message over and over and over again and get more and more people to believe it, but ultimately does nothing else. And unfortunately that makes for a weak, immature and anemic church. And part of our vision of the future and the way we've got to understand our ideology needs to be gutted out is to recognize that salvation has got to give way to mission, to the proclamation of this good news. It's got to change the way we live our life. We got to live with new purpose for other people and speak with boldness as God's representative. We are part of something bigger than anything we were ever part of before. Mission, Matthew 28. This is the way Matthew ends his gospel. This is the last thing recorded Jesus said before he ascends into heaven. This is the commission given to the church of Jesus. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Guess who the new boss is? The king has been enthroned and here's your marching orders. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's why we come to church because God meets with us because we learn, because we do what Jesus has commanded, because we're in an environment where everybody's welcome, because we're bringing people into the family of God. Do you see, we are meant to live on mission. It's not enough for you to get your ticket to heaven 
and then sit at home and wait for Jesus to come back. That is not what God has you here for. Do you realize that? And so we got to have an understanding of creation, revelation, unification, salvation, and mission. And so what do we do in the meantime? And this is where it gets messy. Two of the questions I have that I'm going to answer today, since we have just a little bit of time left, are what do you believe about the rapture of the church and the end times? Seems simple enough. And why is it that Christian people celebrate Halloween? And I can, I can see why you realize the obvious connection between those two questions, right? So think about this for a second. I want to talk to you about expectation. Somebody say expectation. Expectation. We are in limbo, brothers and sisters. God has done a thing 2,000 years ago. He did the thing. The thing the whole Testament forecast that everything was about, he did that thing. And then he commissioned us. And now it's been, you know, centuries of activity, of doing things and being a part of what God is doing. And there's been a lot of variety about how people have understood their calling in the time between. And based on what your expectation is of what's going to happen next will drastically reshape what you end up engaging with. Do you realize this? It will, it'll drastically reshape your world. Scared me so bad I couldn't take a shower for three weeks without peeking out every four minutes to see if somebody was still in the house. Every time I come home from school and there was nobody there, I'd be like, oh no, you know? I remember looking around and I'd see my brother, I'd be like, that's not a good sign, I don't know. Find mom, you know, I know she's good, you know what I'm saying? Terrified that all the Christians are gonna get snatched off and all it's gonna be left behind. Anybody read those books? It's actually the predominant view held by the majority of Christian Americans. This idea that the next event is the rapture of the church and then God fulfills his purpose for Israel and then Jesus comes to reign for a thousand years and then he puts that old devil away forever. And so we've got all this kind of like timelines and mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib, when's it happen? You guys, have you ever watched these? You guys have been on YouTube, right? Here's the problem. Here's the problem though. What you expect happen next is going to drastically affect how you feel in the moment, what you think of the future, how you judge your relationships, how you're planning ahead. How many people have cashed out their retirement because they knew Jesus was coming back on September the 12th, 1996? It's a big deal. You guys see how this works? And you can pretend it doesn't matter, but it actually does matter. I didn't know this until recently. You guys know here we are celebrating Columbus Day slash Indigenous Peoples Day. Talk about ideology, right? Which one of these two things are we celebrating and why? You guys know our our nation was discovered with people on it by Christopher Columbus in 1492. You guys know this? Who knows why Christopher Columbus was sailing across the Atlantic to the shores of America? To find gold? For what reason? Somebody in the first service was like, greed! (laughs) Greed! Yeah. He he got the diary. Do you know that? He actually said all the reasons. Christopher Columbus was a deeply and profoundly religious Catholic who believed that he was fulfilling his purpose in the storyline of God to do two things. The first was to reach unreached peoples with the gospel. And the second was to find gold so that he could fund the Christendom wars in the Crusades and recapture the city of Jerusalem from the Muslims. 
Because how could Jesus come back and rule and reign from Jerusalem if the Muslims had control of Jerusalem? Did you know this? Did you know that Christopher Columbus did not allow any of his sailors to swear and he held Vesper services every night? Did you know they sang hymns every morning? And from what I heard, that sounded pretty bad. (laughs) There's all this story you'll never hear because why? It doesn't fit the narrative that you need to hear in order to reinforce the ideology that's being put upon you. But also, Christopher Columbus was way off base. There's, you don't fight God's wars with knives or guns or swords. It's a spiritual battle. Do you realize this? Jesus doesn't need you to clear the deck in Jerusalem so he can come back. What, what, what are you doing? Do you understand? But he was so convinced of a particular view of the future that it created a life where he lived. I mean, he literally put himself in harm's way at the very cost of his life every single time he got on these ships. He went on four of these missions. And the same is true for you, whether you're haphazard about your ideology or not. So what is your expectation? So here's the thing. Here's the thing I found. Here's what I found. Everybody who teaches a rapture of the Christian church, they teach a rapture of the Christian church because, because, they need to understand how God fulfills his purposes for Israel. And there's a bunch of unfulfilled prophecies about Israel in the Old Testament. You know this? How can God fulfill those prophecies if there's not an Israel? And the only way to do that is to get the people, the Christian people, out of the way so that God can go back to plan A. And so they went looking for something in the scriptures, and they opened up the Bible. And here's the crazy thing about the Bible. If you go looking for something, you're going to find it. The reality, though, is if you don't start asking that question, there is no rapture in here. Part of the reason people ask about whether it's pre-trib or mid-trib or post-trib, because it doesn't say, because it doesn't happen, because there isn't one. And it's only us in the last about 150, 200 years that have ever thought that was a thing. The problem was in 1948, after World War II, the nation state of Israel was reestablished and everybody who thought that said, I was right. And it reinforced the narrative. And that's what most of us grew up hearing. But if you start with a Jesus-centered vision of the Bible, you will never come to the conclusion that there's a rapture or that God is doing something different with Israel that he's doing with the church. God's got one plan. and He's the faithful Israelite. He's the one that fulfilled all the promises. And in him, we are fulfilling God's purposes for the world. Uh-oh, this is where people walked out of the first service. They were like, uh-uh, not me. I ain't gonna be around with you guys when the rapture happens. <laughs> and the second thing, Halloween. Why don't we? Halloween is evil. Well, is it? See, one of the things that we don't recognize is that part of the Christian mission has been to overtake the world with the good news of Jesus. Now, that's a willing overtaking. We're not trying to. We're not trying to set up a caliphate and impose Sharia law on people. We're trying to invite people to participate in what God's already doing through a willing invitation. Do you recognize this? And so, when the church has been evangelizing people who are unreached, they're coming with baggage, brothers and sisters. And so we reach these pagans. This, this uh, Halloween was originally a Celtic tradition called Samhain. Did you know that? The Celts believed that on October the 31st, there was a portal that opened between the spirit realm and the natural realm. And it was an opportunity to talk to people who had passed. And there was people that would come in and do all kinds of tricks on people. And so they had all these festivals and things built in around, uh, around keeping bad things from happening and also like celebrating connection with uh, the dead. And so when the Christian church came in and evangelized the Celts, they said, they said uh, it, that's not really true. What's true is that all the faithful who've gone before us are now part of this cloud of witnesses. And we call them the saints. And we talk to them and we celebrate them. And they changed Samhain to All Saints Day or All Hallows Eve, which was shortened to Halloween. 
Did you know that? In every one of these, I mean, in our day, Hallmark will grab a hold of anything people spend money on and turn it into a thing. You realize that, right? And so there's some people out there who go, Yes, in the world, there are things that we should receive as a gift from God. There are things that need to be redeemed and filtered out. And there's those things we should reject. And some Christians go Halloween, evil, reject it. Some Christians go Halloween, not evil necessarily, so redeem it. And so you tell your kids, you can't be a witch or an ax murderer, but you can go to a rich neighborhood and get candy. <laughs> Do you see how this works? See how this works? But what you believe influences how you act in the middle of this world. Do you understand? And so you have to, you want to create and cultivate a healthy expectation. Now, here's the reality. The next event that the Christian church should be waiting on, if you read the Bible this way, is the sudden and unannounced return of Jesus, followed by immediate final judgment, which means look busy. Jesus is coming. Do you understand what I'm saying? When I worked on construction crew, we worked harder when the boss was watching. And we worked like slower and lower the longer he was away. And sometimes we'd hear his truck around the corner and someone would yell, fire in the hole! <laughs> we were looking busy real fast. And all of these parables Jesus tells us, listen, you don't know when I'm coming, but be ready, be found, be faithful. Do what God made you to do. And so this is every, every Christian in every generation should be expecting Jesus to return anytime. And God gets to decide when that is and you have no say in the matter. So it might be tomorrow or it might be 10,000 years from now, but it doesn't change how we ought to be living in this world. And part of that is speaking truth to power and saying that is evil and that is good and don't get them backwards and we're not standing for it. Woo, and not just on Facebook, I'm talking about real people. <laughs> I'm talking about doing real things. I'm talking about being salt and being light. You have to know what is right first. You understand? Nobody left. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Expectation. We'll get into more of these categories. All right, I'm going to end right here with the consummation. Somebody say consummation. That's what I just said. The next event we're waiting for is Jesus is coming back and he's going to judge. There's going to be final judgment. You don't come back from final judgment. There's no second chances after final judgment. This is what makes the moment we're in so important. Now, listen, I don't know when the world ends, but I know that my world ends sometime between this afternoon and when I'm 90. Do you realize that? It, the end is near, brothers and sisters, and looking at you, I'd say it's nearer for some of you than others. I mean, if I'm just being honest. It doesn't mean I love you less, just mean God let you be born first. I'm just saying. You, 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 we're all getting our chance. You know, you just had more years already. That's all I'm saying. What are you going to do with the time God has given you? Do you believe that there is a destiny for you? That there is, an, there is a role for you in this world? There are people that only you have an opportunity to influence. There's a calling that only God has made for you. And you can choose to walk in it or not. You can choose to say, too hard. No, thanks. I'll sit at home and wait for Jesus. I'll find my people who already think what I think. And I'll go hang out with them, vote with them. Somebody send me the cheat sheet. Who are we voting for? Think about it. I'm going to read 2 Peter 3, 1 to 18, and that's my close, okay? But I want you to listen to the words of a man who knew Jesus in old age, who was a pastor and one of the founders of the Christian church. And listen to the tone and content of his conclusion here to his last letter before his death. 
Now, this is the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing that's the Old Testament and the New Testament. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own simple desires. They will say, and where's the promise of his coming? I don't see God. You're silly. That's for weak, foolish people who need that sort of thing. For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago. So now we're getting back into the creation, right? The earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, Revelation. That by means of these, the world then existed was deluged with water and perished, a picture of the judgment to come. By the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly expectation and consummation. Do you see it? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like one day. How's that for some perspective? God's like, I'm just getting started. It's Tuesday. What are you talking about? The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You see the mission? Do you see salvation right there at the center of God's heart? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There's your final judgment. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Won't that be a good day? I wouldn't mind being in public office in that environment. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters, when he speaks of them of these matters. Now listen, there are some things in them that are hard to understand. Can we get a true right there? Is that amen right there? Which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So how long has this been going on? Way before YouTube. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Amen. God, we just commit this word to our hearts and your spirit's work. God, help us to demolish 
ideology that stands in opposition to your reality and help us to build a worldview centered around the person of Jesus that results in our growth and our peace and our holiness and in our finding our place in your purposes in this world. God, only you can do this. So we make ourselves your servants and we pray you would lead us and speak to us in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you guys. Thanks for...